Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Last week, I was doing one of my Peloton Power Zone rides and heard about a rider who was in the studio that was about to start a pretty significant ride. He was going to ride around the perimeter of the United States, and he was doing this to raise money for a charity he'd been volunteering with for over a decade. I had to had to hear more, had to learn more. This sounded pretty pretty incredible. I found the rider, found his website, read through the blog posts and the training and what he was trying to accomplish. And uh, I want to share this incredible adventure on the podcast. So I'm excited to welcome Jim Feeney to the podcast today. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. When I first heard about this, the one thing I want to know is, is why the perimeter of the U.S.? That's a massive journey. What drew you to uh, to that ride? Uh, sure, that's a good question. Uh, years ago, I did a cross-country bicycle ride in 1991 with a group of 30 riders from Seattle to New Jersey. Had a great time. And then uh, five years later, I decided I wanted to do another one, but a little bit longer. So in 1996, I actually did a U.S. perimeter ride and raised some money for uh, two local charities in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. I was 33 years old and single. And you know, when you're young and single, you could do some crazy stuff. But then here I am at the other end of the spectrum. I'm now 60 years old. I've got four kids, they're all out of the house. Um, The last one is a sophomore in college. And I thought, well, maybe I can do it one more time, um, you know, before I get too old to do it. So I thought at this point in my life, this is a good kind of sunset tour of the United States. So I thought I'd try to do it again. That's incredible. And you're doing this to raise money for a charity. And I think that's, you know, I think a really cool aspect of what you're doing. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about that side? Sure. In 2009, I was introduced to a charity that was located in New Orleans, Louisiana. Like everyone, you probably saw the videos and pictures from Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. And in 2008, I heard about this charity that was working in New Orleans, Louisiana, rebuilding homes after Hurricane Katrina. And it just struck me. I said, you know, I want to see if there's any, you know, go see this organization and see what it's worth and see what they're doing down there. So I had never been to New Orleans. So I went down there in 2009 and met this little organization that was rebuilding homes in the St. Bernard Parish of New Orleans. And I was just blown away by both the organization and its founders. Its founders were two individuals who left their full-time jobs in Washington, D.C., six months after Katrina, moved down to New Orleans sight unseen, and started rebuilding homes because they were so moved by what they saw and what they saw when they got there. They actually changed the path of their lives to start rebuilding homes in New Orleans. Fast forward many years later, I've volunteered with them any number of times, and now they're a de facto nonprofit that does disaster recovery around the country. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So they've worked in Houston and Florida, in um, the Carolinas, up in New York, up in Joplin, Missouri. So when disasters happen and the camera lights fade out, this is the organization that shows up when families start to need the help to start the rebuilding process. So it's a pretty fantastic organization run by two incredible individuals. So when I thought about this ride, I thought, okay, I'll do the ride, but what's the charity? And it was hands down an easy choice to be SVP. It's it's such a traumatic event when you lose your home. It really, you know, for most people, 
it's the biggest event they're going to deal with in their life. And it's not something where you have a lot of help around there, you know, hopefully you have insurance, but even then, you know, you can spend years trying to collect it. And um, most people may not have that. And so it's, it's a time when you're really in need, you know, to be there and to help help people rebuild is just so important. Yeah, I think you've absolutely stepped on it. I mean, the, the issue there is twofold. One is that's unexpected. Like today you have a home, tomorrow you wake up and your home is destroyed and gone. And so you have no foresight that that's actually going to happen. And then suddenly you're left with, okay, how do we even start? Where do I even start to rebuild? How do I do this? And what people forget is all during that time you're rebuilding, where are you staying? You know, are you staying in a hotel? Are you staying with friends and family? You know, are you temporarily sheltered somewhere else? And all that while you're spending some money and you're at the mercy of contractors. Do you find a good contractor? Is that contractor honest and reputable and takes care of you? Or does he come into a bad situation and take the money and run? And that's happened too many times. And so, like you said, home is a center for a lot of people. It's where you feel most comfortable. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're stressed out and work has really got to you, what's the place you go to? You go to your house and you sit down and you relax. And can you imagine that that's taken away from you with no foresight, no schedule, you know, nothing. So I like to tell people this ride I planned and it has a lot of challenges, but I planned this and I knew these challenges were going to unfold. But somebody who loses their house, they have no they have no schedule, they have no plan. It just happens. And then they have to pick up the pieces and move forward. So it's really cool that you have an organization like SVP who helps you with the paperwork and how to file with FEMA and helps you through the process and understands how to rebuild and get set you up with contractors or helps you rebuild personally. It's just a dynamite organization. I can't speak highly enough about. Well, it sounds incredible. And I think just think you've been involved with it sounds like for over a decade. And so, you know, it's not just something you picked off the internet. You've been there, you've helped them. Yeah. Uh, you know exactly where the money's going and you've seen the impact it has on people, which uh, for a lot of times, you know, people just choose a charity and, you know, they hope it's good. But this is one that's been Jim Feeney approved. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely part of my, it's definitely deep in my heart. I feel it. I mean, it, can you imagine the feeling, obviously, of seeing a home destroyed and people at their low point trying to figure out how to rebuild? But then the opposite. I've been lucky enough to see people at the homecomings, they call them, at the point where SBP has finished a home. And now the family has a ribbon cutting ceremony and walks back into their home to restart their lives. And the, the warmth and smiles in the faces of the people is just amazing. And it's such a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling to see that, you know, that the work that you've put in, whether you've painted, plastered, put up drywall, you know, worked on framing, you've put a little bit of your soul into that. And it's really rewarding to watch that happen and to see the families come back. Uh, that sounds incredible, but you're also going to be putting, I think, was it five or six months of your soul into this ride? <laughs> Can you maybe just share what the route you're taking is? Because it's uh, the the route is kind. Of, you think of it's like all these incredible places. You know, you want to you want to bike through. You're kind of doing doing them all. Yeah, so that's a good point. So I started obviously. I started in New Orleans at the headquarters of SBP. They're just outside the city. They're in uh, a part of the city of New Orleans, and then. I had learned years ago from the original ride that the best way to go is west first because the prevailing winds are west to east. So when you're at your strongest, hopefully, you have the ability to sort of fight the wind. So you go west to east. So you leave Louisiana, go across Texas, go over the Continental Divide in New Mexico, 
and then come into Arizona and like you said into the heat currently it's about 100 outside here it was 102 yesterday when I finished riding and then you go across the desert and then you go to California and then you go up the coast and a lot of people have been up the California coast it's beautiful and amazing and you do that on a bike and then you go all the way up to Seattle and then you go across the Cascade mountain range and then you fall into basically the, the uh, plateau of eastern Washington state and then you're in the Rockies and you're in near Glacier National Park. So I'm up near Canada, which is a beautiful area of the country. It's just gorgeous. It's my I'm really looking forward to that. That's one of my favorites is Glacier National Park. The going to the Sun Road. I've I've never biked it. Every year I say, I'm gonna go down before they open, I'm gonna ride it, and then I never do. Uh, but that has to be the prettiest road in maybe the world. Well, I'll tell you a secret is that I've done I did the trip in ninety-one across. I did the trip in ninety-six as a perimeter. I haven't done the going to the sun because both times I tried to do it, the road was still closed due to snow yep. in May. So I couldn't do it. So I'm hoping this time that it's actually open and I'll be able to do it because I've heard it's just spectacular. And then from there, just to go across, you know, the flat part of Montana and then basically into Wisconsin and Minnesota and then basically follow the bottom of the Great Lakes. Uh, across Ohio and, and uh, into New York, and then basically loop through New England and Vermont, New Hampshire and Maine, loop by, uh, back through Massachusetts and wave to my family as I pass through Massachusetts, and then down the eastern seaboard, and then down into Florida, and the intent is to go down the eastern side of Florida, um, and then cut across to Fort Myers, because we all know Fort Myers had a major hurricane not too recently, so hoping to get there and see what SPP is doing in Fort Myers at that point, which will be about a year, one year anniversary after the Fort Myers hurricane. So, and then swing back up uh, through the panhandle and then back across Mississippi, Alabama, along the coast, and then back into New Orleans. So I should finish in about five months. I should be able to finish this ride. So the total distance and the total number of days you're estimating. So the total distance will be slightly over 10,000 miles. It'll be about 10,130 miles by estimation. That's an estimation, but, and the total number of days, I believe it's 162. It's going to take me to do the ride. On average, I ride six days a week, uh, average about 75 miles a day. And I give myself Sundays off. Um, and so I build a buffer in, in case there's any you know logistics, like I explained earlier, my new support vehicle drivers, had a delay on their flight, so they just got in. So we might get a late start tomorrow, so we'll kind of see how that goes. So you're doing a Canadian, a metric century every day for 160 <laughs> days with one day off. You know, I think a lot of people, they get their first their first century, they're happy, but you're doing yeah. six of those a week. <laughs> yeah, some days shorter, some days longer. It kind of depends on the terrain. So obviously, where there's a lot of climbing, uh, lucky enough, I've already gone over the continental divide on the bottom. So that's pretty good. I got through that in New Mexico. Uh, but the contrast is amazing. Two days ago, when I woke up in the morning in New Mexico, it was near freezing. So it was a basically between 35 and 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And now here we are in Phoenix and you wake up in the morning and it's already like 90, 95 degrees Fahrenheit. It's so tough riding as a Canadian. We, we never get that hot. So I've ridden, I've ridden kind of the upper 90s or the mid 90s and that almost almost destroyed me because I'm just not used to it. <laughs> I can do the cold. I can put stuff on, but uh, the heat is hard for me. Yeah, and it is very hard, but you probably also notice when you're riding, it's not too bad as long as you've got a constant breeze or you're kind of going into it. But if you get a flat, oh my gosh, that's really painful because you do start sweating constantly. 
Yeah, like it radiates up. I don't know. It's something. It's just like it radiates up. And even when you're riding, you can't get cold. So so what's the average day for you? You know, you're obviously, you, you've planned this out incredibly. You know, when I meet people, most people start start off on their bike and they don't have any plan. You know, you it sounds like you've got the plan. Is every day kind of the same for you? Sort of. I mean, you know, we have to flex. And one of the things I learned on the last one is you have to be flexible, obviously. You have to see the situation, the weather. Uh, luckily, I've had really good weather, but you have to watch out, obviously, for thunderstorms or hailstorms or any sort of weather-related events. Basically, get up in the morning, um, have breakfast early, then work for an hour or two because I still do have a job. My uh, company has been gracious about just saying, "Oh, you, you know, work part time, and we'll work it out." But so I'm working a few hours in the morning. Try to get going about between nine and ten in the morning, and then meet up with. I've got my own SUV as a support vehicle, and family and friends are flying out for a week at a time supporting me and so they'll drive the vehicle for a week and I'll meet up with them somewhere at the halfway point probably for the day so 30 or 40 miles in and then we'll get some something to eat replenish the liquids and then I'll finish up the day with them take the bike and if it's at the hotel if we finish at the hotel obviously it's just driving to the hotel but if it's somewhere distant down the road we'll actually drive the vehicle we'll take the two bikes and uh, drive them I'll drive the vehicle to the hotel and then the next day we'll drive back to the end point and start all over again and do it again and again and again. <laughs> and again and again and again. Uh, that just sounds incredible. Now, I heard about this doing, you know, I'm, I'm a power zone fanatic. It's funny, I used to train with the uh, the Tri Club here in Calgary and I'd go in once a week and do this, you know, I'd, and it was great. And then, and then I started doing Peloton and I know um, the whole motto was like, it's consistency, not like intensity. And I've just seen huge, you know, Peloton for me has been transformational. Like my average water is up like 30%. Uh, and there's there's such a community. So I'm interested. What was, you know, the shout out of Christine on her ride? What's happened? Like, has the community been like reached out uh, to, to to help you? Yes. Uh, Richard, I can't say enough good things about Christine Derrico and Peloton. So the story behind that was we reached out to Christine about this ride. She was gracious enough to hear us and talk to us. And then she invited me down to do a live studio in New York City. I live about three hours north um, for a live studio on March 12th on a Sunday. Now, I had no expectation and no idea. And if you've taken the class, obviously, you know, she does shout outs to individuals and, you know, congratulations on a thousand rides, you know, to so-and-so. So she's very gracious. But on the 12th, she planned a 60-minute ride and the whole 60-minute ride was centered around me doing the SP perimeter ride. And it was amazing. My socials just absolutely blew up immediately after the, uh, the ride. And I have a constant stream of people, Peloton related, are using Christine's expression, hands on your back, all the time. And when they do that, I really do, when I'm on the road, think about all those folks really with their hands on my back and how much support that is. It's just amazing. The community, Peloton community, has been outstanding. You know, an interesting aside is yesterday, the last day of the week for riding, uh, a family here in Mesa, who was who kind of in the Peloton circle, came out with signs and cheered me on as I drove by. It was really special. It was a husband and wife and five kids. It was really spectacular. I stopped and took pictures. 
I had some t-shirts made up for the ride. So I gave them all t-shirts. It was really cool. They were the nicest people in the world. So it's the it, Peloton community has been amazing. That's incredible. Actually, I just read about that on the blog post uh, about week four. I thought, oh, what a great thing. You're just riding and it's like, you know, it can get monotonous. And then that's just going to give you like, it's like four cups of coffee, just to give you a big jolt. Exactly. It is. It just, I said, it's almost like a refuel when you get that, those people just cheering you on, it just refuels you for those tough moments that you go through. And, you know, you're thinking, can I really do this? And then a family like that steps up and says, we're cheering you on. We want you to go. This is amazing. I'm really interested in your, your planning for this trip, you know, on, on your website, it shares kind of like your approach to doing this and you've done it before, but it was, you know, 35 years ago or 25 years ago. It was a, you know, when we're younger, we're full of energy. We can do anything. What was your process to do this? And like, like, I think it's really, a lot of people want to do these trips, but they never know how to start. And so I'd be interested maybe just how you approach this. Yeah, so I think that's a great point. I mean, I approached it by, obviously, the technology has moved fantastically forward since 35, 33 years ago. Um, so I use Ride with GPS, which is an app that you can both on um, a Windows PC or, um, or on a mobile app. And you can actually lay out with Google Maps sort of routes. And it does tend to put the routes... Um, where which are bicycle friendly, so it has heat maps, understanding all the riders that use Ride with GPS where they actually ride. So it does, in through a city, put you on roads that are sort of rider friendly or well, you know, well traveled by cyclists. And so from that standpoint, it's kind of easy to do point and click setting up each day. So I started this about two years ago, and what I started doing is just figuring out, okay, how much can I realistically do in a day? Maybe 70, 75 miles. And then just sort of did point-and-click days, and then I used um, a Google spreadsheet to sort of put the days together, and I just sort of mapped out each day. So people can do that, whether it's around your town or your city or across your you know, a state or across a province, you could certainly do that. You could take, you know, this ride with GPS and basically do that. And the nice thing about that is when you lay it out, once you've done that, you can download it to your phone and then it gives you turn by turn directions if you attach that to your bicycle. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Like how did we do all this when we used to have maps? Like, you know, uh, I got into cycling when I lived in the UK and, you know, there's all these little country, country roads and you're pulling out this like massive, you know, two foot by three foot map and you can't even find where you are, let alone where you're supposed to be going. Yeah, exactly. And that was true of 33 years ago. I pretty much did the ride, uh, by maps and just, you know, maps in a spreadsheet I had listed out, but that was the best I could do. Uh, but the technology now is just so much better. And then, and then training for this ride. How how did you train to ride six days a week? You know, for people in their twenties, it's tough. You know, you're not in your twenties anymore. So, like, was there a, a really rigorous training program to make sure you could accomplish this? I think the trick I learned, and probably people could apply for anything they do, is you train at what you can. So I trained as much as I could outdoors. But you know, I live in the Northeast, so that we get pretty harsh winters. So from that standpoint, what I did is I went, I got a Peloton. And when I got the Peloton, I started training like an hour and a half or two hours a day on the Peloton. And, that, and like you said, that was transformational. That was life-changing using the Peloton. It really made a significant difference in the training. And I just found by using that, that was a great supplement to my regular training. But I think the other piece is when I started the ride, I eased into it. So the first two weeks, I didn't do 75 miles. I did like 50 miles or 55 miles to give my body 
the chance to sort of catch up and get used to riding six days a week. So that, that worked out pretty well. And I would recommend to anybody, if they do a large event, ease into it and give yourself some flexibility. Give yourself a day off. Give yourself some time off. Uh, ease into the mileage that you're going to end up doing. And I think your body will respond in kind. And so how has the ride been so far? You're in Phoenix, so you're, you know, a good chunk across, you know, the southern the southern perim- part of the perimeter. Luckily, like I said, the weather's been fantastic. I've only had one rainy day so far. Um, and I did have two days of headwinds, so that was sort of a challenge. But other than that, it's been really good. The weather's been very good. I've been very lucky. And is there anything you notice that's different from 1996? Like, obviously... You know, the mapping, you know, it's a lot easier to find out where you're going. But are there other differences you're noticing riding across America? Well, yeah. You know, what's interesting is I think like anybody, you sort of romanticize something that you did years ago and you thought, oh, all the fun I had. And you forget all the hard parts. (laughs) I I did forget, irrespective of age, I did forget all the days that would be a lot of climbing, uh, a lot of headwinds. And again, I haven't had a lot, but some. Um, but I did forget all that because again, I romanticized the first time around. So that's, that's been the, the big difference. I think is that I realize it, it's a lot harder than I remember. I've know the same thing every year, the first backpacking trip, it's like, <laughs> what the hell? I thought I liked this. And you know, I'm carrying all, I got three kids, so I'm carrying all this stuff. I've got a massive <laughs> backpack and I'm like, this, this sucks this year. But you know, by day two or day three, I'm like, oh yeah, th- this is still good. I like it. But yeah, when you first start, you forget just the pain and the sweat and the uh, all the all the discomfort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's been it's been challenging, but it's actually been good. My body's responded pretty well. I'm pretty surprised, but I, I think I've really uh, worked on nutrition more than I was 33. When I was 33, like when you're 33, you can burn pretty much anything that comes into your system. But I'm trying to be a little bit more careful about what I'm eating and drinking now uh, during the ride. So. So, so uh, this is a great, a great thing you're doing. Uh, how can people help? Sure. So people can help. They can go. I do have a website for the ride. The website for the ride is SB Perimeter. So the nonprofit I'm raising money for is SBP. And so I named the website sbperimeter.org. And that will give you all the information about the ride, including there's links to donate if you're interested or links to SBP to volunteer if you're interested in finding out more about the organization. And I would highly recommend that you certainly can donate, but if you want to volunteer, that's a life-changing thing as well. To see families coming home again is pretty pretty amazing. Uh, Jim, I think this is the coolest thing you're doing. I am uh, just in awe of not only doing the ride, but doing it to help so many people in need at you know the one of their greatest greatest times of need. Uh, I know it's hot there. You're you have people waiting for dinner, so I want to say thanks for taking time out and just sharing your journey. It just is incredible. Richard, I can't say enough thank you for having me on your show. This is really cool. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I look forward to keeping in touch and letting you know how the rest of the ride goes. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so if you, again, if you want to follow along, uh, you can go on sbperimeter.org. I'll put the link in the show notes uh, as well as uh, links to the socials. Uh, there's a weekly blog that's fun to read. Uh, and yeah, and donate, get involved, help people rebuild their homes, help donate money to support Jim's Jim's efforts to uh, to raise money for SBP. Uh, it's a great organization. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear more epic adventures.
Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.